Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This week's episode of Wizards Breakaway is brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. We've had like a couple Patreon subscribers from Norway recently. Shout outs to the people from Norway who listen to us. That's incredible. Uh, thanks so much for supporting us. Couldn't do it without you. Another great week. If you want to be a sponsor of this podcast, outside of the Patreon ship, if you own a business, you want a small shop or something, hit us up. We can work something out. We'll, we'll shout you out at the podcast. All right. Let's get this episode going. Three wins in a row for the Rangers. Let's go. Hey, Busher Breaker fans. Welcome to another week of the Busher Breakaway. I am your host, as always, Ryan Mead. I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan. Greg Kaplan, say hello. It is fucking cold. It is cold in the East Coast. It's cold in these rhinos, I believe Jesus is the Christ. opposite what's saying. The, what's, of what temperature, what's the temperature down there? Uh, it is six. I know you're going to be the minus version of that. I don't know. We might actually got into single digits today. Let me check for you. Okay. We'll Weather app. Give it to me, baby. Give it to I'm me, at baby. Two. Oh, I'm two. At two. Okay. Yep. We, we, uh, we're, we've Trim we've up. gone up nine degrees since uh, I last checked. Yeah, uh, Long Island uh, somehow missed all the snow, which God bless. But today was very, very cold, so much so that the heat broke in my office. I had a great time freezing my dick off. Yeah, if you want some snow, I got about 18 inches to share. Uh, yeah, you do. It is. Yeah, it you is. do. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, hey, no, it is, it's, a, it's a clusterfuck up here. It, it's, it's been so cold that the plows haven't been able to get all the snow off the road because there's just no way it melts. There's just it's no just way. It's too fucking cold. There's just no way. The oh, hey, hey. speaking of not cold, a terrible mm. transition. The Rangers hot, 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 hot. But I don't really care about the record whatsoever. Uh, and I actually want to take this time to talk about another team in the Metro. Guys, sure. I don't care that the Islanders are doing well. I actually don't care. Part of me is happy for them. If you come to me and say, "Look, aren't you uh, like, aren't you sad the Islanders are doing so well?" No, I don't care. I could care less. I'm happy that they're rubbing it in John Tavares' face after he left. That's funny to me. I enjoy that. So I don't care that the Islanders are doing well. I really don't. Good for them. Will they win the Stanley Cup? They will not. So that's let them go. Let them go to the playoffs. Let them miss the lottery. Let them think they're good. Let them have a great time. I don't care. And I will trade with them. And I saw you talk about this on Twitter, Greg. Yep, sure I did. don't give a shit about trading to the Islanders. They can have whoever they want. For the right package. Because I will only be trading to the best team for the best package. And that is it. Yeah, you will. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, first, first, first and foremost, John Tavares providing us with the ultimate Ewing theory, right? Oh, big time. Can you think of a – besides Patrick Ewing himself, can you think of a bigger Ewing theory Candidate? example? Hmm. Uh, for people that don't know, the Ewing theory is the Knicks got better when Ewing was not there. That's the theory. Specifically, specifically the year they went to the finals against the Spurs. And I think Ewing was out with an injury and Marcus, a young Marcus Camby stepped up and the, the Knicks offense seemingly flowed better than it had while Ewing was in the lineup, so on and so forth. Well, Ewing theory. Can we make the case for Garth Snow? 
Well, that's the thing. Garth Snow technically still employed by the New York Islanders. And a lot of the players, it's not like Lou did a complete roster overhaul. No, he didn't. Barzal is a Snow draft pick. Anders Lee brought in by Snow. Yeah, that's Jordan true. Jordan Everly, that trade was done by Garth Snow. These are Garth Snow moves. This is a Garth Snow team. So I Barry guess- Trotz is making it all work, but... It's a Garth Snow team, guys. Listen, I, I'm a, I know this is an Islanders podcast, so we won't stay on this too long, but I, I'm perfectly fine with them rubbing it in John Tavares' face. because I'm fine with that, too. And, like, you made uh, an allusion to this. I, if the Islanders came to the Rangers and said, Adam McQuaid is our missing piece, or, shit, if the Islanders came to the Rangers and said, we really need Kevin Hayes, there's a package to do there. With, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. The Islanders have so many... And look, this could be a one-year thing with the Islanders. They still have to lock up Everlane and Lee long-term. And we don't know if that's a good move either. They got a lot of – this could be a one-year flash in the pan for the New York Islanders. They've done it before, things. by the way. There was a game that really mattered like the end of the season a couple seasons ago between us and them. Like it was they, – they've done this. They have these kind of years. Like good for them. Congratulations. Happy for them. I, I, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't make me angry. It is what it is. Good for the Islanders. I'm worried about my own shit with the New York Rangers right now. Anyone chasing for a playoff spot, the only thing I care about is, is there a way for the Rangers to get some assets from them? That's it. That's all. I look at every every contender who is trying to get into the playoffs. The only thing I think about in regards to them is, what do you got that I can have? You should be thrilled if you're a Ranger fan that the Hurricanes and the Islanders are trying to be contenders. Because that adds two more buyers to the market, of, of which we've read millions of articles the past couple weeks. That it's, it's a seller's market, or it's a buyer's, whatever it is. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, and the thing that should really excite Ranger fans is it's not just the teams currently in playoff positions who want to try and shake up the roster. Hurricanes are on the outside looking in. If you get their first rounder, there's a chance that thing is an early teens pick. Same thing goes for the Colorado Avalanche. We're not talking about the Ottawa Senators pick. We're talking about the Avalanche's own first round pick. There's a chance the Avalanche don't make the playoffs. And if you're somehow able to convince them that Kevin Hayes is worth a first round pick, that could be a good first round pick as well. The Edmonton Oilers. We're having Daniel Nugent Brown back on the podcast this week. They're dangling that first round pick. That's a team that also might not make the playoffs. The best thing the Rangers could do is trade with teams who are currently on the outside looking in. Because, sure, those teams are less likely to get the first round pick. But if you're Jeff Gordon, you're a good salesman. You could be like Kevin Hayes. He's the missing ingredient. You will be a playoff team if you get Kevin Hayes. Send us that first round pick. It'll be in the late end of the draft anyway. Don't worry about this. So the the best thing is it's the teams on the outside that are sounding aggressive out of the gate. That's good for the Rangers. We like that. That, that all that. being said, Gregory, how many points, and maybe you've looked already, but I don't know, but I'm going to quiz you anyway. Sure. How many points are we behind the Avalanche? I don't know. I think the Rangers themselves are six points out of a playoff spot. Yes, the Rangers are three points behind the Avalanche, and the Avalanche have a game in hand, and they are two points behind the Hurricanes. It's just a – we are goddamn terrible at tanking. We're truly awful at it. I don't think it's that we're bad at tanking. It's that the median in the NHL is at a pretty low point. The teams that – there are eight teams that make the playoffs every year in each conference, and the Rangers aren't – that's the thing, though. Even with this three-game win streak, the Rangers are still bad. Who, it who hasn't are, changed. Who are actual good teams in the NHL? Okay, we can go through this very quickly. Tampa, Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa Bay Lightning. Okay. San Jose Sharks. That's it. Uh, the well, no, the Tampa Bay Lightning are on a completely 
different level than everyone else. I agree. Than everyone else, the the Tampa Bay Lightning are elite, and then there are very good hockey teams. Yeah, as well. then I believe then we have the Sharks, get... the Flames, the Jets, and I'll give you the Penguins when they get hot. Yeah, the the Leafs are fine too. They're, the Leafs are having their cold spell right now. They're gonna be fine. Uh, the, the Washington Capitals have lost five in a row. Don't know what the fuck's going on there. The Columbus Blue Jackets are stuck in purgatory. The Penguins need to do something. Lord knows what it is, but they need to do something. It's weird. The East is weird. They're outside of the Tampa Bay Lightning. We live in a world where, the- <laughs> who, by the way, at the All Star break, uh, happy All Star, everyone. Who cares? Uh, has have they have seventy six points? Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah, they, I think in their magic number is like six or something. That's an exaggeration, folks. But at the same time, it is. Uh, we, we live in a world where the New York Islanders are in first place in the Metropolitan Division. Not just because the Islanders are playing well, but everyone around them sucks. The, this is the worst the Metropolitan has been in a very long time. Remember last year when we were like, this division is a murderer's row. And <laughs> there's every single team in this division is going to be – no, this division now. Gonna- <laughs> yeah, now this division, this division is now the American League Central where everyone's in it because everyone is bad. Yeah, everyone's kind of crap. But yeah, everyone's that- trying their best, you know? Yeah, it, that's it. it. I, you might win a division with less than 100 points. This is, this is the world we live in now. That's uh, the Islanders are on track. We'll see who goes. I, yeah, I, I think, but I think the we, we've talked a lot top. about the New York Islanders to start this podcast. You want to start talking about the Rangers? Yeah, I guess so. I guess it is a Rangers podcast. I'm sure we'll get right. to about this. Yeah, this sure. week has uh, I, I we hardly get to talk about good things in this podcast, right? We never really get to do that. Say it one more time. I'm sorry, I got distracted. That's totally. It's, it's fucking cold. That's like, totally fine. We hardly. My brain get... just starts thinking about things that were once warm, and it's just. It, it's, it's Remember Savannah, Georgia, walking down the street with a oh cold ice beer in your hand because public what? drinking is legal. What was I thinking? I don't know. Uh, oh. Speaking of good things, the Rangers, we get to talk about actual fun things with the team this week. We don't have much sure. to complain about. It's it's actually one of the happier podcasts we'll do this year, I think, because everything we've talked and asked about for this team has kind of come to fruition. That being said, uh, Mika Zibinijad has been an Absolute monster. I regret even saying on this podcast a couple weeks ago that he could be a trade asset. There's no chance you're trading him. I don't think there's a package out there unless it's absolutely bonkers that gets him. Nope, because we're talking about a guy. Oh, Phil Sims it up hard. We're We're talking about a guy. (laughs) You like to see that guy have fun out there. He goes out there. He's a kid. (laughs) uh, He might finish. He's on pace to finish this year with north of of 70 points. And you are not going to find a top-line center who can put up 70-point seasons for less than $6 million. Whoa, whoa, Craig, you're calling Mickey Zibinija a top-line center? I don't know about oh that. Oh, my God, I know. Remember those d- debates? Jesus Yeah, those are over. Thank God. Oh, my oh my Christ. The whole thing with the, the subset of Kevin Hayes is, wow, do you pay this guy north of $6 million? I, you, you technically could, but he's not the best center on this team, and that's not a reason to trade Kevin Hayes, of course, and that's not a reason Kevin Hayes shouldn't be paid, of course. I'm just saying – the whole reason you trade Kevin Hayes and not Mika Zibanejad is because Mika Zibanejad does not cost you $6 million, and he's locked up long-term. Kevin Hayes will, oh, yeah. and he's not locked up long-term right now. And he's a um, monster. He's been uh, – He's a beast. That he's trade, beast. going back to Broussard, like I remember I was on a plane back to New York. I forget where I was. I think I was in Chicago. And mm. the trade happened, and I got the alert on Wi-Fi, and I was like, how do I feel about this? I love, I love Broussard. Why, why would we do that? Man. I remember. <laughs> I remember some. There, there are intrepid podcast listeners. You can go back and find this episode. Yeah. I remember both of us at the time saying, "Mika Zibanejad's twenty three, and the Rangers got a second round pick in this deal." That was weird. I, I feel like we were hyping up the second round pick a little bit more than we were Mika Zibanejad. 
Oh, we were very wrong because because Zavidajad is a monster and is a cornerstone of this team going forward. N- not a first time we were very wrong. Now, Ryan, allow me for a second. Since it's so you. cold outside, to pour some cold water on this uh, very fun week that oh, was no. for the New York Rangers. Wait, can I do it first? No, uh, you go, you go, you well, go. I, I, you go. I just I asked. You did. Let's remember who the Rangers beat in this three-game win streak. They beat the Carolina Hurricanes, who haven't won a game at Madison Square Garden since Ever. when we were in college. That's correct. That was a long time ago. Yes. Uh, they beat the Chicago Blackhawks, who might be the worst team in hockey. But they're the Blackhawks, original six team. Might know. be the worst team in hockey. Okay. Uh, I will say the win over the Boston Bruins is a straight up impressive win. That was a complete. Well, that was a complete game played by the New York. I Rangers. mean, McAvoy did hit Heedle into to Grask. like that kind of messes the game. Sure, but they brought in Yaroslav Halak, who beats the Rangers more than Yaroslav Halak. Nobody. Nobody. Well, so, no. Uh, who's the backup for the Detroit Red Wings? Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy Howard. Howard. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he some team, if some team, every time they saw the Rangers, if just Halak and Howard were passed around the NHL and only those guys played. We'd have no problem tanking because we wouldn't win a game. No, never. Uh, but yeah, the the Bruins win is an impressive win. I got nothing bad really to say about the Boston Bruins game, but the two wins before that, it's it's a very empty three game win streak. If you ask me, that's fine. I I don't care if they win or lose at this point. I just I'm at that point. I'm like the games are fun, win or lose, and we're doing finally what I want to happen, which was play the goddamn kids. The defense looks okay. Like it's not great. It's pretty terrible. I think that's but, some. I, I I I have a hard question to ask you in a couple of minutes. But while while we're on this, I, we, I feel like we've had this conversation before on the podcast too. Are you sure? Rebu- rebuilding and tanking are two different things, right? Oh, absolutely. The Rangers. We've, we've the done Rangers, this thesis. Yeah, the Rangers. A rebuild. It a rebuild means you don't give a shit about results. That doesn't mean you hope they lose. If the if the young kids play well, which they have been, Philip Heedle oh, is just the, he's doing special things. The Heedle down the right side of the ice, just accelerating, is really tantalizing. Really, that really tasty. The kids, the kids are playing well. Heedle is playing amazing. Zibanejad and Kreider are establishing themselves as cornerstones for this franchise. Matt Zuccarello has done a one-week rehabilitation of his trade value. Two, it's a week so, and a half, but his trade value has skyrocketed. It had to. Yeah, so I'm not – I don't – like if the Rangers win games and they look good doing it and the pieces you need to look good are looking good, fine. I, I don't care. That's the purpose of a rebuild. Philip Heedle needs to get better. Philip Heedle doesn't always get better by losing every game. Philip Heedle gets better by being put in the situations where he can succeed, and they're doing that. That's great. So the Rangers are winning as a byproduct of that. Fine. I don't care. The Rangers were always going to pick eighth or ninth. I, I've believed that since day one. You've believed that since uh, day yeah. one. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm hard on the Rangers are picking eighth. Like, there's, yeah. there's no way they're not picking eighth. The teams below the Rangers are just bad fucking teams. Like, the, the difference between the Rangers and the Chicago Blackhawks is the Blackhawks, they don't have kids to develop right now. They just got Kane and Taze. That's it. Yeah, Kane is That's really good, but he can't win it by himself. No, and and the the L.A. Kings, the fuck. We're currently slotted. By the way, just in case you're wondering, we're currently slotted in the twelfth pick. That'll change. Yeah, it will. But that is the the Rangers have won three in a row, and it'll quickly disappear again. I promise you. But yeah, guys, we don't go out. People are chime in saying all the time, "Ah, you're rooting for the team to lose." I don't give a fuck if they win or lose. That's the point. A result is whatever it is. The Rangers, for a large part of the season, fucking suck. And they're going to suck again. 
They're playing really well right now, but it'll it won't last. It never does. They're a young team on an upswing right now, so ride it. At the same time, I'm not going to be upset when the Rangers go back and lose six in a row. That's life in a rebuild. That's what it is. That's it. That's that's where we are. We've said it all year. But I've had a good week with the Rangers. I had a fun time. It's fun fun when they win, and it's fun when the players you like play well. Even if Pavel Buchnevich only plays nine minutes one game, what are you doing? But still, I, uh, I just here's the thing that I don't think I'd be as pissed off about Buchnevich being on the fourth line with Brett Howden. Yeah, just imagine that fourth line was. I don't know, uh, Buchnevich, Howden, and Tim Gettinger. Cody's been playing like six minutes and all that, but uh, it's still like six minutes. I just, he just shouldn't be there. It's, it's a bad six minutes, and you're tying young kids to him. You're, you, you get to a point in the game where you say, I no longer want Cody McLeod on the ice, and that takes Howden and Buchnevich off the ice as well. And as much as I, I – I just imagine if Buchnevich was on like the, the line with um, Heedle and Strom. We'll get to Strom, but – yeah, that would be very nice. Yeah, that line Hedl and Strom have been playing great together. Now, just imagine Buchnevich playing with them Str- instead of instead of I, th- I think it's been Foss the last couple games. We're gonna have we have an, uh, speaking of the first guest we announced, uh, we have another guest, uh, Murat, who is covers the uh, oh my god the Jets. Sorry about that, and he's gonna talk about oh no, we already talked about the Spinner thing. I don't know where I was going. Well, we're gonna we're, we're, we got. I mean, if you brought it up, uh, Murat Atesh is coming back to talk. Jets, so there's going to be a heavy focus on Kevin Hayes there. Yep. And then Daniel Nugent Brown is back, what feels like the second time in the last two months, because it, it is. It is. Uh, we're talking we're talking Oilers as well, and Spooner was waved today, and Jesus. So let's talk about that Peter trade Trelli. real quick. Like, I, oh, that was an amazing job by Gordon. Now, I know Gordon signed him to a two-year extension in the first place, but to get Strom for Spooner, who got cut like a month later, that is a great win. Yeah, it's a it's a terrible look for the Oilers, right? Because it was Eberle for Strom, and then Strom for Spooner, and you just got rid of Spooner. And you just did so you basically so... got rid of Eberle for nothing. Yep, and Eberle is pretty it's good. tough. Uh, I I will say, and people are quick to point this out, it is a little bit of revisionist history for us to say the Ryan Spooner contract was a complete and utter waste when they signed Spooner. To his credit, looked good for the New York Rangers at the end of last season. He did. Uh, he was actually he, one of the better players. The, the thing that always surprised me with the Spooner contract wasn't that the Rangers decided to keep him. It was that they wanted two years. I, I, I never quite understood that part of the mathematics. Uh, but credit where credit is due. We, we can give Gorton shit for signing the contract. Gorton was quick to get the fuck out of that contract. And he got – he didn't just trade him for a draft pick. He got a bona fide NHL player who I think on a winning team – can be a bottom six, uh, bottom six guy. Oh, Ryan Strom is legit. It's it's yeah. hard for me to say he's not. He's been a, he's been a contributor in almost every single game. Uh, I, I, he's and very he's noticeable. A, he's, yeah, and he's a guy where it's unfair to say, oh, well, he's the fifth overall pick. You need more out of the fifth overall pick. Sure, he's not the fifth best player in that draft. He's still a quality NHL talent who can help a team win, and he's young enough where he can be part of the next actually good Rangers team. Yeah, if we want him to be, and he might, for real. It could be. So uh, I'm excited to have him on the team. Yeah, it's, that, been a, it's been a really good week. I mean, I mean Chris Kreider uh, scoring a lot of the different goals again. Uh, Tony D'Angelo, finally out of the box. Yeah, it's it's that time in the podcast, Ryan, where it's time for us to talk about the Rangers' it's, defense. Well, uh, did it was it fun for you that Tony D'Angelo scored two goals on Pride Night? 
it's oh, <laughs> uh, it's it's fun for me that Tony D'Angelo is once again looking like an actual NHL defenseman. Uh, I will also By the way, say so, in this, sideway, sideways, uh, sidebar. You mean no what sideways? I'm going what sideways. The fuck sideways? We're, going, we're going sideways. That's where we're okay. going. Um, All right. Anyone on Twitter, like the people that that like were complaining about Pride Night and whatever, dude, calm get down. It. Get, get a, a fuck. No, get a no, life. no, no. Don't, don't calm down. Get a fucking life. Get a life. What? Who? Who? Who gives a shit? Is the, is <laughs> My the favorite comment was the guy that was like, "What about believes in God Night?" Like, relax. Dude. Every night, bro. Every night's believes in God Night. Jesus fucking Christ! Literally, it's just. If that shit bothers you, don't leave your house. It's, don't turn on the TV. Don't it, communicate it, with people. Right, that's a marketing thing, man. Just let it happen. Let the people Not have just, their night. Yes, it's a marketing thing, but it's also just the right fucking thing to do. Who knew? Like, what a weird concept. If it really bothers, seriously, if it really bothers you, stop talking to other people. They don't. You don't deserve other people. Just be miserable by yourself. And that was find like, a hole and dig yourself in it. That was going sideways. All right, back to the defense. Anyway, uh, these three games. It, there's not a whole lot of bad things to say defensively. Uh, even Adam McQuaid has looked pretty good. I still, it. I hate the well McQuaid has calmed down Shea stuff because that's fine and good. But Adam McQuaid won't be a New York Ranger next year, so I'm still more or concerned in like with three weeks. God, I hope so. So I'm still more concerned with finding someone that possibly will be here next year as someone who can calm down Brady Shea's game. You know what I mean? I love the term calm down Brady Shea. Like, oh, he was out of control. Was He's he? out of control. Was he uh, out of control? I don't think but, he was. So we, we can agree, Ryan, that maybe these last three games, this is the best the Rangers defense has looked, right? Oh, yeah. I, uh, that's easy. Yeah, who's been missing? Hmm. Hmm. Let me do some math here. Okay. Neil Pionk. Oh, my God. Was it Neil? I, I don't – I'm not saying that Neil Pionk is the reason, Ryan – the New York Rangers are an abysmal defensive team. Cause it's not what we do know is the Neil Pionk, Mark Stahl combination doesn't work. And when that combination doesn't work, it fucks with your whole lineup because that's a team. That's a, a pairing that's out there on the penalty kill. It's a pairing that has been getting top pair minutes at various points this season. Now you're putting Mark Stahl with Tony D'Angelo at even strength and D'Angelo does something a little different that Mark Stahl doesn't do. And it creates a little bit more balance offensively for your team. And on the penalty kill, I think it's been a revolving door of like Lindgren. Shattenkirk has gotten some time with Stahl. You have different pairing partners on the penalty kill. And the penalty kills looked a little bit better with Neil Pionk, not on the ice. I Do we, it's three games, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's, we, well, that's it would, what we're here for. We're here to overreact. Yeah. It, it's a whole lot of overreacting at the same time. Hmm. It is a little makes bit you, of a hmm. Makes you think a little bit more about Neil Pionk, right? Or at least that the Rangers have been miscasting Neil Pionk this entire season. And I will say this, Ryan. If the Rangers have been miscasting Neil Pionk this entire season, good. This is the year to do it. We figured something out. Neil Pionk isn't a top-pairing defender. He can't play with Mark Stahl, and you shouldn't have him on a penalty kill. Those are three things we've answered this year. Fantastic. Good. Maybe, we answered questions. We did it. Maybe Neil Pionk. His his absolute base value in the NHL is decent third pairing defender who provides a little upside on your second power play unit. And you know what? That's fine. That's totally every fine. Every team every team needs that. I feel he like I complained about well. Shattenkirk on this podcast not being on the power play, and then they put him there, and he's been good. Huh. Who knew? Huh. That was so, so weird. What is his number one ability? He's a power play uh, power play quarterback. Okay, hmm. interesting. He's looked really well this week too, in his own zone as well. It. 
Because he's also playing with different guys. He's been playing with uh, with Lindgren. Lindgren. Yeah, and Lindgren actually compliments him well. Because he he could, like, Lindgren's kind of a stay-at-home defender from what I've seen a little bit. And uh, Chad Kirk could just go out and do his thing. It's been a nice little pairing. I'm sure that will eat eat shit once in a while, but... Yeah, I'd still prefer to see Shattenkirk with Shea just because I I that I just think that's going to be your pairing next year. So I'd rather see more of that now than later. But Shattenkirk's look Shattenkirk's looked good with Lindgren. D'Angelo's looked great with Mark Stahl. Shea's looked good with McQuaid. We figured some stuff out, and the names Brendan Smith and Neil Pionk aren't involved, and it's going to get real awkward this summer. There's not a whole lot of Rangers housekeeping storylines we're going to talk about this summer outside of Artemi Panarin. It's basically going to be, are the Rangers going to bridge Pavel Buchnevich? And what is Neil Pionk's cap number going to be? I, I, God, I don't want to extend Neil Pionk. Uh, I really, I don't like, it's, it's weird to say that. It's just, would we? He's, he's an RFA after this year. You're going to pay him more than you're paying him now. He's getting money this summer. I hate bridge deals more than anything, but yeah. if the Rangers decided to bridge Neil Pionk, I, I'd complain about it a little less. I just – I I didn't think about the summer until you brought that up because, you know, we never stopped doing this show. Uh, that is a nightmare, what you just said. What you just yeah, said. D'Angelo, D'Angelo is also up for RFA. So but D'Angelo, like, I'm, I'm already like, okay, now we – guys, we have an asset. He's an asset if we sign him or not. We've, we've done this before. We, we've, we've, we literally ride this – roller coaster with Tony D'Angelo all year. We when the season started and he wasn't in the lineup, we said that the Rangers Society is not part of their plan. When he came into the lineup and he looked good, we said the Rangers are finding an asset. They got to figure out something to do. When he left the lineup again and looked like he was never going to get back in, barring injury or some random development, we said, look, once again, they've decided he's not here. We need to move on. Now that an injury did happen and Tony D'Angelo's back, we're like, he's an asset again. It's it it's 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 weird, man, because we see him play he has his moments. He is never going to be a stay-at-home defender. You have to put him with someone that can back up his game. I never thought it would be Mark Stahl, but it Mark the Mark Stahl pairing is working in a way that it doesn't work with Neil Pionk. I'm I'm just gonna I'm just putting it out there for all the things that we like about Neil Pionk, for all the confusing things that we talked about in regards to his game when this season started. The Rangers have been a better team defensively with Neil Pionk not in the lineup. It makes you think. That's all I'm saying. That's that's it. And uh, and the Patriots are in the Super Bowl again. Let's transition to Murat Atesh, who will come onto this podcast for the millionth time to talk about the Jets and possible trades that we can do there with that super team. Here we go. And then uh, actually, directly after that, Daniel Nugent-Brown also uh, will be coming on to talk about the Edmonton Oilers and Shirelli's nonsense. Here we go. Transition. We have our good friend and recurring guest, Murat Atesh. Who's been on this podcast, what, like five times now? Yeah, I'm trying to make a career out of it. Yeah, you're you're doing pretty well. You are for the Athletic Winnipeg. The Athletic used to sponsor us. Come back! And um, I'm sure they'll be back eventually. Thanks so much for coming on, buddy. Really appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, We're doing a trade series right now where we're bringing other writers on and talking about possible trades the Rangers could make with certain teams the Jets are absolutely killing it this year one of the premier teams in the NHL uh could we interest you in any certain players I mean I guess we'll start with the obvious one we have a player named Kevin Hayes we're looking to shop around uh could the Jets use a player like him yeah absolutely when you when you look at the needs that Winnipeg has um they don't need 
elite finishers, that's kind of taken care of. The goaltending is taken care of. Most of the important things, they've got three out of four, top four demons sort of settled. Um, but the big issue in Winnipeg and is has been on the second line uh, for the majority of the season. It's been tough for them to find uh, forward solutions that work. Uh, some of the mainstays have been Brian Little and Patrick Laine, and when the two of them are on the ice together, they're not always so good at making sure the game gets played in the right end of the ice, the, but they've got the offensive ability there. So I'm looking at a guy like Kevin Hayes, who, who genuinely seems to move the needle in terms of possession, who does have offensive skills as well, has size, can do a lot of things, just as somebody who can help them play the game in the right end of the rink more often than not. My question off the bat, before we get into how a trade may look between the Rangers and the Jets, I just think back to last year. The Jets were in a very similar position, coming out gangbusters in the regular season, looking like an emerging team with a nice blend of veteran leadership and youth. And they went out, they paid a heavy price to get Paul Stasny, who about-faced and left for Vegas as soon as the season was over. Do you get the sense that there's any kind of hesitation in Winnipeg about bringing in another rental player for a potentially high price who at the first sign of free agency on July 1st might look to get out of Winnipeg as soon as, as quick as he came? You know, if there's any hesitation like that, I'm not perceiving it. And I think that the Jets are well-placed to get over it in, in a heartbeat because what the, what Winnipeg's looking at all of a sudden starting this summer is that guys like Patrick Laine, Kyle Connor, Blake Wheeler um, are all going to be on new contracts. And we know what Wheeler's is going to be. It's almost two and a half, or it's a little bit more than two and a half million more expensive than he was. The, and then Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor, that could be as much as 15 million between the two of them or more. So with Winnipeg right now, I think what the organization knows is that this is a special time. It's a special context. They're good. They're not Tampa Bay good, but they're a very good hockey club with a unique window where there's still a lot of value deals on the club. And I think that they're well aware of that. They've been doing all sorts of little things throughout the year, juggling 22 men where possible instead of 23 to save a buck here or there. Um, and I think it's all been about maximizing the amount of cap space that they're going to have on deadline day with the intent of going all in or as all in as possible. Well, that makes it seem uh, like Kevin Hayes could be a guy for you. Uh, that gets me a little bit excited. I know the Rangers uh, have been scouting sort of avalanche games recently, but I could think that's sort of a, uh, a tell off there. Maybe it's a, a side off or a distraction. What do the Jets have to offer for the Rangers at this point for to maybe obtain a player like Kevin Hayes? I think that with Winnipeg, the the template that they're probably going to attempt to follow is is what they did for Stastny a year ago. What they were able to do is offer a meaningful draft pick, which was their first rounder. I think it was 28th uh, when, when all was said and done, possibly 29th. Don't quote me. I'm not a... Okay. That's fine. That's um, fine. So it was a first round pick. Um, and then a, a really meaningful prospect in Eric Foley. And uh, unfortunately for the St. Louis Blues, Foley got a concussion earlier this season and is at a rocky start to his new career there. Uh, but it was a meaningful player who uh, projects to be an NHL forward as well as a, as a first-round pick. The good thing for Winnipeg there was it didn't take anything off of the playoff-bound roster. And I think for the Jets, that's the ultimate goal again. I'm, up, I'm very confident that that first-round pick is in play, as with all of the available picks. Uh, and then in terms of prospects, uh, there's a couple of 
defenders, particularly in college, Dylan Sandberg, who I think would be the Jets would be loath to give up. Christian Veselainen, I believe that they'd be loath to give up. But there's young defenders and, and a couple of forwards as well outside of the NHL uh, that I think is going to be their goal. And, and of course, when they come calling for good players like Kevin Hayes, uh, we'll see if they're able to get away with something quite like that. The Rangers are in a interesting position in terms of the players they're trying to identify as guys that could come back in the trade for either Hayes or Zuccarello. I, it, I think the right defenseman, a young defenseman, if he's there, if he was NHL ready, that'd be great. But the Rangers have added so many Ds in the last 18 months. If it's not Veselainen, I have a hard time imagining the Rangers getting excited about yet another defensive prospect. Cause at some point, the Lieber Hayeks, the Ryan Lindgrens, the Niels Lundquists, the Keandre Millers, they're going to need a place to play sooner or later. So you get into a point of almost too much depth. In my head, I think the Rangers would want a guy on the wing. And I know you and I talked about this off podcast, but the name Jack Roslovich, it sounds really tempting if you're the New York Rangers. Yeah, no, no blame there. I should correct myself too. Uh, Samberg was a defender. Veselainen is a winger, as a matter of fact. Uh, I just think that he might be a little bit off limits. I think he's the one surefire um, forward prospect that the Jets continue to have in their pipeline. And then after that, it's surprisingly dry for a, for an organization that's been uh, really cranking up. All their all their young players are in the NHL. Your Lineys and Ehlers and Connors and Roslovic. So. Um, a, a guy like Jack Roslovic, I think, would have a, a tremendous amount of value. He's still on his entry-level contract. He's shown already uh, an intelligence and a, and a bit of offensive chops on the wing in sort of a middle six role. I think the Jets have the eyes on him to be a long-term second-line center, if he can figure that out. They tried him out on, at center in kind of a fourth-line role earlier this season, and I think it was a bit of a tough out adaptation in recent weeks though he's been moved to wing on the second line and all of a sudden he looks like a, a brilliant offensive prospect again or a young guy who who's going to make uh, a meaningful contribution at the nhl level uh, so in terms of appealing players uh, who who certainly have a long-term value that that would be high and i'm sure the jets are very high on him as well um, but removing him today doesn't absolutely kill the playoff drive. I, I could see it in the right sort of situation. I think the Jets would be a bit loath to, to sacrifice the future uh, quite at that level today. But I, I mean, I also think that this, this year is so unique for them that it might be possible. My question and follow-up for that is, if the Tampa Bay Lightning didn't exist, do you think they would blow the lid off the cover? Um, how do you mean? Like, would they act? So say, for example, the Tampa Bay Lightning weren't as good as they are right now, right? Like, are, are they a team that really scares the Jets? I'm assuming yes. <laughs> I, I think the Tampa Bay Lightning should should scare every NHL team. I, I genuinely think that they're, they're the deep, as close to flawless as possible roster construction and like, and on the ice as well, like on paper and on the ice, they're, they're just... Uh, they're just a juggernaut. And Winnipeg's best game of the season came against the Lightning earlier this this year, and it was a, it was a Jets victory. It took a lot of drama and a lot of late game heroics turned into an overtime sensation sort of situation, um, and that was all hands on deck. I think that that the goal for Winnipeg should be to attempt to get as far as the Tampa Bay Lightning being a problem. Like I, I don't think any elite team or any very, very good team can guarantee that it'll go that far. So I think for the Jets, it's more 
just about shoring up what what are issues and that that second line has so much offensive talent but not a real ability thus far to make sure it's playing in the offensive zone and then um its second pairing has been Dustin Bufflin and Ben Sherratt. Dustin Bufflin is a phenomenal defender and, and is still carrying people at a, at a really high level. Ben Sherratt's a little bit new to the top four game, and Bufflin's been much better without him as well when that's been a, an option. So I think for the Jets, it's about patching things up regardless of who's in their way because uh, just because uh, they're going to be so expensive next year, and this might be the deepest bang for the buck team that we're going to get in Winnipeg for, for a really long time to come. I was confusing Veselainen with Boston Bruins prospect uh, Euro Vakanainen. Great job. The Finns, the Finns are taking over everything, and it confuses me greatly with all the Einens and Anens and all of it. Yeah, I'd like Veselainen. He seems fun. Uh, <laughs> he seems off limits. I, I know. I, I know. Our buddy Hockey Stat Miner is a big Veselainen guy now that I think of it, and I know he'd be all over it. Do, is is uh, – Murad, is it strictly a down-the-middle addition for the Jets at the deadline this year? Could you see them adding along the wings, or is this a team that desperately needs someone to bolster their center ranks? In my opinion, that player could come on the wing or as a center as long as they were capable of, of a meaningful impact at possession. So Brian Little has shown that with the right wing combination of wingers, when he's played with Blake Wheeler in the past, and even more recently, whenever Matthew Perot shows up on his wing, all of a sudden they're outplaying other lines. They're spending more time in the good end of the rink, and they're outscoring teams too because the offensive skill is there, especially if the other wing is Patrick Liney. So with Perot kind of occupied on another line right now or, or the team seems loath, loath to move him to that spot, I think the most important thing isn't necessarily a guy who's going to come in and crush at center, even though that's very appealing. It's somebody who can come and just be a, a responsible conscience and, and win battles and extend zone time and, and do little things that make sure that the best shot or one of the best shots on the planet in Patrick Laine is spending as much time in the offensive zone as possible. Is it Matt Zuccarello you're talking about? It was, it was going to be Zook I bring up because if, if the Kevin Hayes price tag scares you, uh, I, Zuccarello will not cost as much, especially considering the first half of the season he had. He's been incredible the last 10 games. He's looked like the Matt Zuccarello of old, and it's coming on the heels of him having a very open and honest interview with media saying, look, first half of my season, the trade deadline stuff, it messed with my head. I brought that stuff out on the ice. I made it a little bit more personal than it had to be. I'm sorry. I'm working on that. Uh, since he had that like come to Jesus moment, he's looked like the Matt Zuccarello of old. So I, it, a team like the Jets, who maybe are adverse to giving up back-to-back first-round picks, maybe if they wanted to give up just a quality prospect and maybe a later-round pick, second or third round, Matt Zuccarello could be a fit for the Jets. It, it sounds like you think he might be a fit for the Jets if you're looking for an offensive possession monster who can feed Patrick Line a beautiful, beautiful passes all night long. Yeah, the, that's that's really the goal or what I think should be the goal if Winnipeg turns to forwards is somebody who can can really control that. And uh, as you know, as we're talking about him, I met at Hockey Viz looking up some of the information about Zuccarello, and it really looks like the chances New York gets when he's on the ice are, are from all the right spots on the ice. Um, he seems to create a lot, and also the Rangers give up a fair bit when he's, when he's out there as well, which 
I don't know if you can speak to the to the style by which he's sort of creating his success. Um, it seems to me like he's a he's a high event guy with a with a lot of skill, and that works because I think I, I genuinely believe in in his quality as a player. It's it's also not quite the the ideal fit. I I, I really think of Hayes as more of a beast style uh, uh, player that that could conceivably fit in that spot. Um, but maybe you could speak a little bit more to what Zuccarello or how he's looked in, in his resurgent little while. Incredible. The, the resurgence is real, uh, especially offensively. He seems to be in the right spot, making things happen for his fellow forwards. And it, it maybe it's just the fact that Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider have been just otherworldly the last 10 days plus, And Zuccarello is kind of just riding the wave, but he's, he seems to be someone that definitely helps. And it's funny you mentioned um, him giving up a little defensively. I've never felt bad with Matt Zuccarello on the ice in the defensive zone. Uh, I'm not saying he's a lockdown forward. He's a, he's a tiny guy with a very big stick. So there's only so much he can do defensively, but at the same time, I feel like he's always been responsible defensively. I never, I never, I even think the Rangers have utilized him in penalty kill situations in the past. So it's not necessarily unheard of. Uh, But this year's particularly, if you're looking for a guy to check all the boxes, a guy that's going to play in all three zones, that can do everything well in all three zones. Kevin Hayes is having easily the best year of his career, and he's going to get paid handsomely for it after the season, which also means if the Rangers want to trade him, they're going to get paid handsomely in a trade. So really – it, it comes down to what you think the Jets would do. Do you think they're they're a high price shopper? They are Kevin Hayes away from being a team that can make a deep Stanley Cup run, or are they kind of trying to add along outside a little bit? I mean, Zook's going to help the top six. There's no question about it. it. It's just a matter of how big of an impact you feel the Winnipeg Jets need to make before the deadline. Yeah, if if it's strictly what I think that the the Jets absolutely need, uh, I see that completing their top four defense is kind of a, the number one priority. But I know because of the success that Stasny had, um, and and also because of the issues they've had with their second line, there's something meaningful that could be done there too. Um, I, I believe, like I mentioned, with the Jets juggling like 22 men on the roster at times, squeezing out a couple of cap dollars every now and again, uh, sending uh, a couple of their uh, waiver exempt players to the moose this week as well, that there's been a lot of, a lot of finagling they've done to, to maximize cap space. So the idea of them being a big buyer this season makes sense to me. I think that that's kind of, it's what, it's what they're looking at. And if that means that they have to swing big for a guy like Kevin Hayes, I, I do think that that's, uh, I think that that is very meaningful. I wonder, um, I wonder I've always thought about this because Stasny was such a rabbit out of a hat for, for shovel day off in Winnipeg. And he wasn't somebody that we talked about so much, but Hayes just makes so much sense to me. And he's showing up in Kevin or in Craig Custance's work. He's showing up in LeBron's work. He, he's like the, the smoke is out there. Right. Um, in terms of how good of a fit that he would be. And I genuinely think stylistically of the names that we've heard, whether it's Duchesne, um, whether it's, it's a Zuccarello, like we just talked about, whether it's even Simmons and things like that. I can't think of a better fit from what, uh, from what my data is showing me than, than Kevin Hayes. Like, I, I think that that's an I- ideal 
I just repeating myself now, but I just think that exactly what he brings to the table is what turns Winnipeg's forward core into an absolutely overpowered monster. You mentioned buying big this trade deadline, and you said Vestalainen is pretty untouchable. What if I gave you both Zuccarello and Hayes? Now we're just doing deals. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I suppose that the, the right amount of value for, for value makes anything make sense. Absolutely. Okay. Um, it's a really interesting situation for the Jets because no matter what they do, they're in trouble this offseason with how expensive guys are going to get. Like the long-term plan requires some very difficult decisions. And, and so I think that there's going to be a lot of work there. What's the long-term plan in New York right now? Like, is this selling oh, a guy like Kevin Hayes who's having a, a wonderful season? Is this selling high on a guy or is this just trying to rebuild? What's going on? We do a podcast about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's the question that guides us for lack of a better term. Uh, Ryan and I are of joint opinion that they're not going to trade everybody. Um, Mick is advantage at isn't going anywhere. I'd be very surprised if Chris Kreider goes anywhere. Brady Shea isn't going anywhere. I don't think Kevin Shattenkirk is going anywhere. I, the Rangers are trying to do the thing where they're identifying their new younger core to go along with the Philip Heatles of the world. Uh, while at the same time, Zuccarello doesn't fit the time frame anymore. 32-year-old winger who's on an expiring deal. And for whatever reason, it, it feels like the New York Rangers have decided that Kevin Hayes at his price point isn't going to make sense for them, which is fine. But if, if they've made that decision, then they have to move him. And to Jeff Gordon's credit, he couldn't have picked a better year to dangle Kevin Hayes out there because that's the whole reason we brought you on. Um, we're going to be talking with a guy from the Colorado Avalanche next week who are heavily scouting the Rangers for reasons. Um, we've talked with um, – we're going to be talking a handful of guys. And every every person we talk to, it comes back to one player, Kevin Hayes. So if especially if Duchesne and Stone re-sign in Ottawa, which it's Ottawa. I, I understand they're trying, but it's I'll have to believe it when I see it. Uh, if those two guys come off the board – it's hard to think of a better rental option out there right now than Kevin Hayes. He just he checks a lot of boxes for a lot of teams that are in need of that kind of player. Yeah, it strikes me as an ideal circumstance for the Rangers if they are in fact selling because when you start looking through all the names, and that's what I did. Craig Cousins had this really killer, uh, you know, twenty p- names with a lot of details and GM quotes piece at the Athletic, and I went through it and uh, tried to kind of consider who's going to move the needle for a contender like Winnipeg, who has a couple of places they could improve. And a lot of people are still on there by reputation. I don't think Simmons really moves the needle for teams anymore. He's not riding awful percentages or bad luck. He's genuinely not creating except for on the power play in Philadelphia this season. Meanwhile, Hayes, there's no weird number percentage wise. It just seems like he's in the right spots often enough. And he's, he's doing all of the right things to, to, to affect all three zones and man if you're going to sell somebody and and then have all those points pile up at the right time too it seems i ideal i don't know like winnipeg can probably afford to add one meaningful pro, uh contract and so whether that's a guy like hayes or a muzzin type or a something i think that one meaningful deal is in them and if they have to build a a, a package around a first and then somebody that's going to come off the roster uh they might be better served to go for a defender than a, than a forward but when the guy is the only one available who can do what he can do, if they believe it's a fit, then all of a sudden, 
like then the like the Vegases and Nashvilles and everybody else who's been tough for them to get to are sort of on watch. I wish we could help you defensively, but unless you're in the mood for Adam McQuaid, there's just nothing we can. And you know what? You've been such so kind to us. Let, <laughs> let me just tell you, you are not in the mood. <laughs> just get out ahead of that. <laughs> just get like your straight up honesty as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah, you've been so nice. So I can't try to trick you. You know, if you said it, I would. I would believe. I take you at face value. You know, I, uh, I Canadians. We're not very sarcastic <laughs> all the time. <laughs> we're here to help, Murad. Murad, th- th- I, I have one more before oh, Ryan um, hushes you off off on us because yes, you, you again arguably our most favorite guest because there's just no way you need to be this nice to us and yet Correct. you are yes uh, i thought you say that's all of the guests we don't i promise I, I really, I really, <laughs> no, we have rick carpinello on here i was like rick why do you hate us um it, but <laughs> i think we had this conversation last last year and just feel free to refresh my mind if you do you, you mentioned the jets have a lot of dollars that they're going to have to commit this offseason so it's not the end of the world if Kevin Hayes doesn't re-up. But is it more important for a team like the Jets? Manitoba can be a tough draw for free agents. It's a special kind of person you have to convince to spend their winters in Winnipeg. Is it beneficial for the Jets to acquire these guys before July 1st in a way to show them, hey, think of this from a hockey perspective. The money will be there anywhere you are, but in hockey terms, Winnipeg can offer you something that Tampa Bay or San Jose can't. I would love to believe that that was uh, that was a possible thing. And and as a man who walks outside every day, twice a day, and the air hurts my face every time I do it, like I I see the reasoning, I see the logic behind that. But I actually think Winnipeg's biggest problem over the the coming years isn't necessarily going to be attracting big name talent. It's going to be making the right decisions about who to cut bait with and, and who to keep around uh, as they attempt to stay good when, when players get expensive. So when Patrick Laney's contract blows up um, and Kyle Connor's contract blows up, Blake Wheeler's new deal kicks in. um, How long is Brian Little a meaningful contributor at the NHL level? Um, Jacob Truba, who's going to be a restricted free agent this year with one year uh, left till unrestricted free agency. He just signed a one-year arbitration award. And there's still that great big cloud of does he kind of, is he going to be in the, in Winnipeg for a long time? Um, does that mean Tucker Pullman gets a shot? Uh, does that mean Tyler Myers has to be re-upped? I, I think that the toughest decisions for Winnipeg in the next little while is sort of like what to keep and what to throw away and credit their drafting system, which maybe forces people to consider our cold weather more so than free agency does because uh, it keeps control of players for so long. And that's what's leading to this good problem to have. Um, so I like the argument. It makes sense to me. It didn't work with Stasny. I guess, uh, I don't know, he got bit by a few too many mosquitoes or something. I don't know what the deal was. Um, so I like the argument. I don't know that, that it solves things in Winnipeg, if that made sense. That does. Also, uh, Jacob Truba, future Ranger great. Please yeah, he take beat care me of him it. until he beat he's me here. To it, for sure. <laughs> uh, Murat, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. As always, why don't you plug yourself before we get out of here? Hey, just uh, if you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, make sure you do. There's so much uh, great content on it, all teams, all leagues. Uh, I write for the Winnipeg Jets section of it, but I've read some really great Ranger stuff as well. And if I can reverence uh, an analytically-minded person, Shana Goldman has been killing it of late as well. So uh, that's one to mention. We are big fans of them, and I don't know if our code still works, but if it does, 
theathletic.com slash blue shirts all under code undercase there yeah we we love having Shayna on because i feel like it gives her free reign just to curse at the top of her lungs and we're big fans of that big fans we all need a good place for that. That's here. We, Murad, <laughs> if you ever just need to just let cue. one out. I fucked up you... my cue. I fucked <laughs> up my cue. Yeah, you did. We tried to set it up. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time, man. Hey, bye. Thanks very much. And we have back a recurring guest, Daniel Nugent-Bowman. He is of The Athletic Edmonton. We have so many athletic writers on this podcast. D- Daniel, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure to, to be with you. It, uh, it does sound like it's a pleasure. You probably had a long day, uh, probably a long season. Can we talk about Chirelli just off the bat? Is there another fan base that's like, you know what? The Oilers should should fire like fire Chirelli. Is it, does it make you worried, possibly, that no one else wants him fired? Well, I haven't seen uh, another fan base as you know up in arms with what their general manager has done, uh, be it this year, be it in recent years. So yeah, there is a large, large clamoring of people that wish to see, wish will, would probably, uh, buy his, his tickets, his one-way ticket out of town. Um, ultimately, you know, every indication is that, uh, he will remain here until the end of the season. Uh, and I did speak to the Oilers uh, CEO last month. Uh, Bob Nicholson, who at that time, of course, things can change. But at that time, he said, uh, if the Oilers make the playoffs, Shirelli would be back, which immediately uh, when I wrote that story, it was a question answer um, uh, story with with Bob Nicholson. Uh, I had Oilers fans in my timeline wondering if they should stop cheering for this team and if they really wanted him to, or them to be in the playoffs because they really don't want this, this man to be the general manager anymore. So. Uh, there's this, there's this large clamoring, as I said, uh, to have him out of, out of, uh, his current role. And, um, when moves like today happen, I think it just kind of adds fuel to the fire, um, in that regard. So I'm sure we'll get to the, the news of the day shortly, but, uh, um, yeah, it's just not a good news situation here with the general manager and the team's fans. Before we jump head first into everything Ryan Spooner and what didn't work there, can you think of a more dangerous situation in professional sports of a higher up telling a general manager, if you make the playoffs this year, you get to keep your job because the general manager then is free of thinking long-term long-term almost doesn't matter because long-term doesn't involve him unless he succeeds at a certain level this year. I can't think of a worse thing to tell a general manager in sports than that. Yeah, it's a it's a slippery slope for sure, uh, and and not something uh, that I would want my general manager to do if I was you know in, in a higher up position with an organization. You know, having said that, the and I and I don't agree with it, but the Oilers are in a, in a position where uh, we they have a you know a 22 year old superstar, uh, you know top player in the game, arguably top three, top five, however you want to categorize him, and Connor Mc. David, who's again just turned 22, and uh, you know I think there's a, maybe a couple more years where he he's going to keep ascending, a few more maybe even, but he's he's right in the prime of his career, and you don't want to waste um, years uh, of his career where you're you're not playing hockey into to mid mid late April and into May. Uh, now having said that, the Oilers are not in a position 
uh, this year where they should be buyers. I, you know, I, I just I can't see a way where it, it makes sense for them to buy as a short term um, contender because they're so far. Uh, I mean, they're in this this glut of, of mediocrity in the Western Conference that uh, still has given them hope to make a playoffs uh, as a wild card team, but they could do no better than making a wild card spot. And they're basically, so if they happen to get in, would be playing Calgary, San Jose, Nashville, or Winnipeg. And I don't, I mean, I don't give them much of a chance to win that series. So to me, there's, you know, there's been talk of uh, dealing a first round pick or, or, uh, you know, a prospect <laughs> to me that, you know, it doesn't really make sense for them to buy, um, you know, if they can get in you know, into the playoffs with a roster as closely constructed to it, uh, to its current form as possible, you know, go, go have at it. But to, to buy with this current team doesn't make sense uh, to me. And, you know, it, it, that does kind of speak back to what you're talking about in terms of, you know, giving the general manager that mandate or, uh, you know, his job is on the line. And, and that, that is a little bit scary in that sense, but um, you know, I, I, I just don't, I don't think they should be buying and uh, we'll kind of see how it, how it shakes up here, but, I know they they really do want to make the playoffs, which does make sense when you have a 22 year old superstar that uh, you, you know you do you do the league should want to see playing in May, uh, in April and May, and and they should want that too. I mean, right now for for Edmonton in general, I guess we can get right to the Ryan Spooner deal, right? You guys made the trade with the New York Rangers and traded Ryan Strom to us, and we gave back Ryan Spooner, and today he was placed on waivers. What has been the reaction there uh, for that move? Uh, yes, we kind of touched on at the top here. It's, it's been nothing but, but negative in the sense that, uh, if you follow the trade tree that, that started with, with Jordan Everly, who was, you know, a first round pick, um, very prominent offensive player through some lean years, uh, was on the last team to make the playoffs here a couple of years ago. Obviously, he didn't he didn't do as well as, uh, you know, was expected of him during that playoff run, but, um, he has, they've kind of taken, uh, a seemingly, you know, top prospect and a top player and turned him into Ryan Strom and then turned him into Ryan Spooner, who is now on waivers. So that, that, you know, it's, it's, it's downgrading rather than upgrading for sure. Now at the time I wasn't, uh, I was intrigued by the trade. I think we, you know, we spoke last time and, um, Spooner, I thought might have been able to give the Oilers a bit more of, uh, you know, an offensive element that they clearly lack and still do uh, behind McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, and to, you know, to some extent to Alex Chason, who's had a, a kind of a, a breakthrough type season, although he has struggled of late a little bit while being injured. Um, the problem was uh, to me that they immediately, about, what, three days after they made that trade and fired uh, their coach. And I think Ryan Spooner might have had a better opportunity and may have been able to produce a little bit more under Tom McClellan than he has obviously under Ken Hitchcock. Uh, that just did not seem to be a match made in heaven where you had um, Spooner, like they tried him, um, you know, second line winning right away, it didn't click, then put him to center and that they didn't really like it here. Uh, Hitchcock didn't really like him at center. And then it basically resorted to him being a fourth line winger and a frequent healthy scratch and has you know been very little opportunity has 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 uh, hasn't shown very much so the trade has been kind of a disaster on this end but 
you know, I really would have liked to have seen uh, for Spooner's sake um, how things could have transpired a little bit differently under the previous coach, Todd McClellan, than, than Ken Hitchcock. In the meantime, I'm sure it's not of chief concern to you at all. Uh, Ryan Strom's been damn near fantastic with the New York Rangers since the trade. He, it's not like he's ever going to live up to being the fifth overall pick in what turns out to be a very good draft year, but he's proven to be a solid third-line player who could have a meaningful role on a good team as soon as the Rangers decide they want to be a good team. Um, it, it is, it's got to be tough. I, the trade tree makes it even tougher, but even if you just analyze one-for-one one, Strom for Spooner, the Rangers came so far out ahead of that deal that it, it's got to hurt. Yeah, and to kind of touch back on what I was, was, was talking about, I, I think Ryan Strom would have been a much better uh, fit under Ken Hitchcock's coach team. Um, he was killing penalties here under McClellan. Um, you know, that, that almost certainly would have remained a role under Ken Hitchcock. Uh, I just see him more as Ken Hitchcock's a player than Ryan Spooner, and it just did not click. Uh, the Spooner uh, Hitchcock relationship dynamic, um, and and he just never found a spot here. Uh, uh, Strom is interesting in the sense that yeah, he had that pedigree as a as a top line or sorry as a top prospect going fifth overall uh, years ago. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, he's not going to be that frontline scorer that uh, maybe he was obviously in junior and maybe was expected of him with that type of draft stock. But there, he is a useful player. He just, you know, for the first uh, 18 or so games or 20 games or whatever it was uh, before the trade, obviously wasn't producing at all. Now, part of that, it was a lot of that time he was shackled um, with, with Milan Lucic, who uh, his scoring woes had been well documented, starting to score a little bit now. But, I, you know, I think there was a player there that uh, under the right circumstances, um, you know, could, could have been effective. And, and now obviously he is showing that uh, with the Rangers. I think I'd be. It's, oh, sorry, Greg. Go on. No, I was just, just going to reiterate that it's it's got to be tough to be an Oilers fan right now. There's there's so little to hold on to. It, you got Connor McDavid, and it's great, but it's like being an LA Angels fan with Mike Trout and just nothing around him. That's. I mean, that's an interesting uh, you know comparison. I, I haven't thought about it that way. Of, you know, crossing over to another sport. Um, I know the Angels do have some, some nice pieces with you know Andrelton Simmons and um, you know they they seemingly were starting to turn around last year and um, maybe not didn't end all that well but uh, you know the others again do have a couple other pieces um, obviously McDavid other than McDavid rather and in Drysaitel Nugent Hopkins and Oscar Kleffbaum was having a really nice year before he he you know had that hand injury and and ultimately his injury uh, was was one of the few they could uh, afford to, to to have and and that's really kind of uh, sunk the Oilers over the last uh, you know month month and a half um, so yeah I mean there there are a few pieces but generally speaking your your point is well made in the sense that you know there are fifteen odd guys that you know are, are essentially you know replacement level players or or, or depth guys. Uh, that aren't going to score you, you know, a lot of goals or, or contribute offensively in any meaningful way. So that's uh, it's tough to win like that, and it's uh, been pretty evident over large stretches of this season here in Edmonton. I have to ask because uh, Ranger fans grew quite close to him when he was here. Uh, Talbot, what is the situation with him there in Edmonton currently? Just just to update people that wouldn't know. 
Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I mean, this is my first year covering the team. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, you know, kind of watched from afar, uh, you know, in past years and whatnot. But uh, the year that the Oilers made the playoffs two years ago, uh, is third or fourth, I believe, fourth in investment voting. Uh, was obviously a very key part of the success. Um, and just the, the, the three previous seasons uh, was just played so much here. And uh, I think um, they, they seemingly kind of wore down a little bit. Now they bring in a guy, Nico Koskinen, from uh, a Finnish goaltender who's been playing in the KHL uh, as kind of a 1B behind Talbot. And simply put, you know, broad strokes, he's, he's so played Talbot, the numbers speak for, for themselves. Uh, now there's a report out there that uh, Koskinen has signed a three-year extension uh, worth $4.5 million a year. Uh, both goaltenders um, were slated to be unrestricted free agents at the season at the end of the season. So the writing's kind of on the wall for Cam Talbot that, uh, you know, it's, it's very hard to see him coming back uh, next year. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he hasn't really allowed many crappy goals, but he hasn't stopped things, you know, uh, good chances or, 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 you know, ones that you would like to see a goaltender stop every once in a while. Uh, he was pulled last night against uh, Carolina and what was just a dreadful game for the Oilers. Uh, Hitch, Ken Hitchcock did call that a mercy pull as the team was outshot 11 nothing uh, through the first nine and a half minutes of the game. Uh, it was just a very, very bad effort for, for the Oilers. But, but uh, Talbot kind of had to, or Talbot rather had to, you know, bear the, the brunt of that. Uh, and it just has not been, you know, a good good season for him all the way around. And uh, I think his uh, his time, obviously, with the Oilers is, is running uh, kind of on fumes here. I believe there was a yeah. round of applause uh, when you guys first year had your first shot of the night. Is that correct? There was, yeah. It was uh, again nine and a half minutes in. Nice. Shots were eleven nothing. The Oilers were down two nothing, and uh, <laughs> the shot from uh, from the point and cheers kind of <laughs> went up and. <laughs> And then a couple minutes later, I believe, I, I can't remember exactly, but uh, yeah, it was about two, two minutes later or so, the, the Hurricanes made it 3 nothing, and that was the end of, of Talbot's night. So the Oilers did push back. Uh, they pulled within two, but uh, yeah, they took a little too long to, to kind of uh, remember that there was a hockey game. And um, they, uh, they, they, they struggled against uh, Calgary in a similar manner the night before. And, you know, Calgary obviously... Uh, being a very surprised good team, you know, although they did play the night before, you'd think that might be a tough one for the Oilers. Uh, but against a you know equally mediocre Carolina team at home, it's one you you really want to win, and, and for them to lose that badly was was just uh, I think fans kind of uh, had uh, seen enough by that point. It's good to know that the Bronx cheer exists outside of New York. That's always it's always warming to my heart, uh, Daniel. I know you mentioned if it was up to you the Oilers wouldn't be adding any pieces at all. But 31 thoughts this week. Elliot Friedman's saying Edmonton has interest in a Matt Zuccarello. Um, say, say Zuccarello is of uh, their eye. What exactly should Ranger fans be expecting the Oilers to be comfortable giving up for his services for half a season? Yeah, again, to me, that you know, given where the Oilers are, I know – uh, just based on the numbers, I obviously don't get a chance to watch a ton of Rangers games, but uh, it seems like Zuccarello maybe not having as, as strong a year on a kind of a rebuilding team as, as he has in the past. Uh, to me, that I mean, that just doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. Obviously, you know, he is the type of player under, you know, if he had more term on his contract or um, uh, or if he were in a different spot that, uh, you know, 
those those top three or four forwards that I mentioned uh, could use another guy like him, uh, no doubt. But given the uh, the the, the certain situation that we're in right right now here in Edmonton, I don't see that as, as something that makes sense or that I would do. Now, having said that, I mean, uh, you know, the, the first round pick seems to be in play. I, I don't know. That seems like a high price to me for, for Matt Zuccarello. Um, but that is something that, that I mean, uh, as a, as a ideal, you know, uh, situation for the Rangers that uh, they could maybe fetch that from the Oilers. Uh, other than that, I mean, you look at that Edmonton roster and the, the uh, with the Rangers rebuilding, I, I don't see there being a lot on the current roster. So then you're looking um, kind of to B level prospects uh, in the AHL. Uh, they, the, the Oilers uh, have a lot of of um, developing defensemen, uh, Ethan Bear, uh, William Langison, um, our players that come to mind. Uh, Caleb Jones has, has done very well. Uh, and he uh, just got sent down today, so I don't see him as being somebody that the Oilers would want to part ways with. Uh, up front, they have again some some nice B-level prospects um, that I, I would I would think more on the back end would they, where they're a little bit more flush uh, would be uh, you know the opportunity for uh, be it the Rangers or someone else to maybe take advantage of, of, of prying one of those guys loose. Um, but again, you know, if it, were, if it was up to me. Uh, the others would not be buying. Yeah, in in Zuccarello's defense, ever since about the Islander game, which was roughly ten days ago, he's looked like Zuccarello of old. He's crushing it offensively. I think he's he's got some ridiculous. I think like eight points in his last four games. Uh, he's he's stepped it up big time, and it's very nice that the trade deadline's coming up while Matt Zuccarello is playing some of his best. And hockey. really, if you could give us the first round pick for that, <laughs> I would be lovely. Or, or the the guy every Ranger fan's going to talk about, the guy every fan base is going to talk about is Jesse Poyarvi. What's going on? Why why are is he even being dangled? How come the Oilers are so quick to give up on a guy who might actually be able to help McDavid? Well, you know what? It, it's it's interesting because uh, that's another gripe uh, fans have uh, with the organization is how, in their minds, he's been um, criminally uh, in, un, uh, like developed improperly. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough. I, again, I wasn't here for the first couple of years of, of his uh, time in, in Edmonton. That was kind of uh, used, actually, basically all three years he spent time in the AHL. Um, he only had a four game little sent back uh, before uh, McClellan was fired uh, or just after uh, around that same time in November. And, and was thought, though, he's going to spend a little time there. And then Hitchcock really wanted to have him and, and use him. Um, there's some nights, you know, the last couple of games, he's looked a little bit better. Uh, but there are some nights where he's, you know, just not very engaged and always kind of seems to be, a, you know, a step or two uh, either behind or in the wrong spot. Um, but when, when he's kind of, again, engaged and, and willing to kind of make something happen either on the four check or on a cycle, he looks like a, a you know, half-decent player. Now the numbers speak for themselves. Like he's, he hasn't produced much, uh, not only this year, but throughout the course of his, his brief NHL career. Um, with his entry-level contract coming uh, to an end at the end of this year, uh, the Oilers are kind of in a spot where they need to figure out what the heck this guy is, and uh, they need to do it quickly. Um, he's not going to be a guy, at least at this point, unless something magically changes over the next 30-odd games uh, that's going to command a, you know, a long 
multi-year, uh, you know, expensive contract, but you know, if they're going to give them even a, a two-year kind of show me deal, a bridge deal, um, they do need to figure out what he is and how he can best contribute to this team. So um, that said, you, you know, he hasn't produced a whole lot and um, there, I'd be very hesitant to get rid of him at this point because they don't really know what they have and they'd be selling uh, at very low. Like if you're another general manager, you know, and you're, and you're betting on Jesse Pugliarvi, what are you giving up? What, um, what, do, what do you think he is? Um, at some point, the others are have to figure that out. And they're like, you know, you can only hold on to players like Neil Yakupov for so long and have him not produce and, and eventually be out of the, the, the NHL. But I don't think they're at that point yet, or at least I wouldn't be. Um, he's an intriguing prospect to be sure. Uh, it's just, I don't, I wouldn't be selling this low on him or seemingly this low at him yet. Great. Before we get, uh, let Daniel, uh, go back to misery. It sounds like, uh, do you have any other questions for him? Um, I guess the only last point I have on Poyarvi is I can't think of a, uh, I mean, I can't think of a prospect, I guess is the right word to use where old timey media is ready to call him a bust. And it, it sure sounds like fans aren't ready to call him a bust from what you're telling us. And all the, most of the people we follow salivate over the idea of being able to pry him away from Edmonton. So I just always find it interesting that there's kind of old man hockey is so ready to call a kid a bust before his 20 is even 20. I don't even think he's 21, right? No, he turns 21 in May, I believe, if I have that right. Yeah, he's still he's still 20. Yeah, he's uh, 98. So yeah, um, it's it's interesting. Um, there is a large contingent of people here in Edmonton that want to just see him play with McDavid for for give him 20 games, give him 30 games with McDavid, and let's see what he does. Uh, then there's the other faction of people. I would. Uh, I think it'd be, you know, a, a smaller faction, but that just, okay, you know what, he's not ready. Send him down to the AHL for that time for the rest of the season for a good ch- chunk, let him develop, let him play a lot. Um, um, and, and, and then all that. It's funny. I did his brief uh, little stretch. I, I did actually go down to Bakersfield to see him and he, he did actually have a you know pretty good game, you know, one of four, but his numbers were, uh, basically a point a game or three points in four games or whatnot while he was down there. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if that was enough time or not. Uh, jury's still kind of out on that one, but um, it's it's an interesting kind of uh, dichotomy here in Edmonton with, with Fully RV. And again, like you watch him some games and you can see that there's something there, you know, he's such a promising prospect you know, to be the MVP of the World Junior Tournament at 17 is, is, is quite frankly remarkable. Uh, and then he watched some other times and you, you just don't see how this guy was drafted fourth overall. So to me, there's still some time left. Uh, I wouldn't be, again, I wouldn't be selling low on him. I, I, I really want to see what the heck he, he, he is before um, giving up on him, especially since you're not going to get much. Uh, I wouldn't think you'd get much for him, at least at this point. Um, but I do understand both sides of the coin for sure here. 
And if you want Matt Zuccarello, we can make it happen. You got your back. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on and, and giving us all this insight into the Edmonton Oilers. This is really helpful for us and uh, hopefully everyone else out there. Could you give your uh, Twitter a plug and everything else you do? Yeah, sure. I, you know, so obviously, I, you know, I write at the, the Athletic Edmonton and have some stuff uh, this week uh, coming up. So you can you can check out that. And uh, my colleagues, uh, Alan Mitchell and Jonathan Willis, do, do some great work there as well. And, and uh, you can follow me at nb sports so my, my initials for daniel nugent bowman uh followed by sports and give that uh a follow if you'd like and uh other than that we're kind of here for the next couple months through thicker thin here in edmonton if the trade does happen we'll definitely be having you back on i appreciate it so much man oh you're very welcome talk to you soon bye hey we're back both interviews great guys great solid dudes and i feel like i wasn't recording before this because i always miss the good stuff we talk about off air it's really a, you know, a shame. You always do it. And the thing that makes Ryan say that is I've been going off for the last two minutes on the fire fraud documentary on Hulu and just how fucking wild it is. It's, it's wild. It, that was a thing that happened. It, um, well, so explain to people that don't know what the fire festival is. Pretty much from my perspective, it was a, a festival on an island that was supposed to have food, music, sex, and drugs, and it had nothing. It had nothing. So the guy behind setting up the festival is this guy named Billy McFarlane. I'm going to try and do this in less than five minutes. Billy McFarlane is a 20-something, pie-in-the-sky, quote-unquote, self-made entrepreneur. Okay. I love What he guys. really is is a scam artist. Okay. And he scammed investors, all these different people out of millions of dollars to try and set up this music festival for content creators and millennials. He wanted to do the, the people they brought in that said they were involved in trying to get this thing to work. One of the guys said uh, something of, to this scale. I need 18 months to do it. They wanted to do it in four. Okay. And, and that math does not add up. Need, needless to say uh, it didn't work four months out. They didn't even have a venue. Um, he didn't pay any custom anything in the Bahamas to get shit in there or out of there. At one point, the documentary uh, talks about how he went back to the Bahamas a couple months after the fact and tried to literally steal stuff from customs. His whole plan was he was going to rob customs to get stuff back. So and robbing he, customs and he says like it, the worst He idea. says it on camera. He says it on camera. <laughs> it's Ryan, it, it, is, it is wild. And it, I've never felt less sympathy for white kids with a lot of money who didn't get what they thought they were going to get. No, there was like dehydration and like starvation on this island. Wasn't there? Was there not a little, a little exaggerated. Okay. It sounds like most of the people got out of there real quick uh, before it became like Lord of the flies. Got it. I would really like to watch the Lord of the flies part. I'll just say that. It would have been funny. Because as soon as the cell phones die, I wonder what would have happened. That's where I was at. Like, once the battery chargers are gone, what are you doing? I just it, it, fire fraud one. It, it just it just really makes me hate the whole influencer shit. I think why it, is why is this society now? Uh this is a whole podcast. <laughs> this is like you you said five minutes. We could do a whole. No, it just it makes it makes me sick that the people who have the most fucking sway in the world these days are people with four hundred and forty thousand Instagram followers, and I don't know what they do. Like I don't the, know. The most famous YouTuber in the world right now is this guy named PewDiePie, 
And I gotta be honest, isn't he racist? Not really. Uh, that's like a story that just like he gets like the he did say he did drop the M bomb once. That's correct. He sure during, did during a game. He did. He killed somebody on a bridge at PUBG. Dropped the M bomb for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, but after that, like he's got ninety million subscribers on YouTube, and he just records from his house. And he's talented at what he does for sure. And he's like one of the it, one of the biggest influencers there is. It's unbelievable. Like there's – oh, what the fuck was her name? They were interviewing her. They used her as an example all the time. Like uh, it's not it, – I. they're one of the guys they interviewed I think is a dude named Justin Mills. Okay. I don't know who the fuck that is. And he has like 90,000 followers and he's a, he's a big fucking deal. Why? Who are you? What have you done? Show me some proof of purchase. What am I getting from you? Who are you? Just – why do 80,000 people follow that prick, for lack of a better term? He just looks like a penis. He looks like a penis who has thoughts. I don't, I don't, I don't get it, Ryan. I really don't. He looks I like a penis understand. who has thoughts uh, is a I, new way to describe people. I just, I don't, I don't understand where these people get these fucking followers from. I don't, who cares? Oh, well, I think some, a lot of the time. Who gives a fuck what Bella Hadid is doing? Who the fuck is Bella Hadid? I think sometimes it's a... Uh, this is it's been proven to be true that fake it till you make it like you're a big deal like you, if you act like you're a big deal you are a big deal kind of aspect i get i get that they're all beautiful people but the genetics helps yeah the beautiful people i went to high school with are all fucking stupid i i don't know if they got college degrees and the and the beautiful people i went to college with not all of them turned out to be a plus students be perfectly honest with you dumb in high school i was uh graduated with almost 4.0 in college still dumb yeah, I still dumb. Not a good looking guy just, either. So, Bill Hadid, good looking girl. I give her that. What else <laughs> is there? What the, what the fuck else are we doing with the Hadids? Who are they? Where did they come from? Why do we care? What? How do they make money? Why do people go to them being like, pitch our product and great things will happen to everybody? Because if you, all of a sudden they're telling me to eat Tide Pods or some shit like that. What, drink, what's happening, Greg? You gotta drink that fit tea, dude. It's I the only know. way. I'm so confused by society. A little bit. It all sucks. Burn it down. This is the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for everyone listening this week. You can follow Greg on Twitter at Blue Shirts Break, and you can follow me at O-Ryan Mead. O-H Ryan Mead. Uh, Greg, it's always been a pleasure. We'll, again, until next week, we'll, maybe we'll talk the Avalanche and, uh, you know, some other Ranger things. Everyone enjoy their week off for, from the Rangers. Enjoy not watching the All-Star game. Enjoy some downtime. Peace out. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.